Lights, camera, action. Today, we have as our guest, Pete Chapman. He's been a director for over the past 20 years. He came onto the scene, as I know it, in 2000 with the Sundance Selection 3D uh, that he developed at the NYU Film School. I'm sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong about that. But in recent years, uh, quite a portfolio of episodic television uh, in his uh, uh in, in his current uh, uh, journey on projects and uh, series titles like Silicon Valley, Grey's Anatomy, Blackish, Mixedish, Atypical, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and many, many more. I could not be more pleased than to have today's guest on Conversations with Charlie, Pete Chapman. Hello, and how are you, bro? Hello, hello! Thank you for having me. I, I am. Uh, I'm good. It's it's uh, it's Friday right now. You know, it's been busy, but um, you know, trying to trying to get through the to do list. You know, um, but happy to join you here on the podcast. Love what you're doing. Yeah, and and I I believe you're. I haven't. I have not, but I must uh, uh, watched your podcast. Watch your podcast. You had a guest on who's a good friend of mine, Barry Brown. Yeah, yeah. I have to watch that episode. He's uh, a close compadre. I mean, I've done over the years a fair amount of work with both him and Spike together. Okay, uh, okay. But he's been directing. In fact, he directed something this past year. Yeah, we, we talked about that. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's always fun, man. Just talk much like this, right? Just kind of talking to people that you work with or that you uh, admire and respect and kind of hearing how they have come to be where they are. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, basically, I mean, I, I like to go through a variety of the roadmap from influences and reasons for, for, for getting to where we're going. But why don't we start right in the middle and the core of the dialogue, which I think is the most interesting, which is the not a division, but really a working life, as I like <laughs> to refer to it. And the working life that we have today is either in content creation for feature film or uh, a certainly short format con content and advertising or episodic television, which you're doing a tremendous amount of and has sort of become kind of the core working possibility to continue uh, 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 creating uh, a footprint as a as a as a director because our world has has transformed into an explosion of opportunity in the episodic world so tell me a little bit about how you landed just getting into episodic television because it, it wasn't that many years ago was it not at all i i, I did my first episode uh in 2017 um, actually, the first one I booked I'm about I was Blackish, and I'm prepping now for my fifth episode of that show. Um, and so, you know, my my I came to the conclusion uh, and this word wording of being platform agnostic. You know what I mean? Like as all the industry uh, kind of trends were shifting, and and there was almost no definition of of uh, what content was in, in like the late aughts, as we call them. Um, you know, people, it was like, when I came out of film school, it was like, you gotta make a feature film. Uh, and everybody kept that target, but then it was like, well, 
the real the feature filmmakers are now going to TV because all the films are from a comic book or some other IP. So now the more interesting voices are finding uh, room on television. Um, then there was commercials and branded content and stuff being shot on phones or, or on film to be watched on phones. So my whole thing was like, where can I be a director? And it looks like everywhere. So let me focus on trying to make inroads in any possible place that I can, uh, that I can direct. So that meant writing feature films. Um, but on a more immediate level, that meant going after what I thought was the lowest hanging fruit, which would be branded content for small companies because they need things to put on their website. They may not be able to pay for a, an ad campaign with a huge advertising agency, but here I am working filmmaker, a little bit of a track record, we can make videos for you and help you have a fighting chance against the larger companies. And so I did that for uh, about six years. And uh, my dog was probably gonna be doing that off and on. Uh, <laughs> I did that for six years. And after a while, I got a little bit, uh, what's the word? I don't know, uh, nostalgic for my own voice. And I had booked the biggest campaign to date for the company, which was something uh, making Instagram videos uh, for a Procter & Gamble campaign when Instagram first added videos to the, uh, to the platform. Mm -hmm. And I was like, let me just make something, see where I am, uh, what it looks like with all these skills I've developed, shooting, editing, directing, producing, um, and I made a short film called Black Card that got picked up by HBO. And so that kind of brought me into these TV directing programs, shadowing on 10 different shows, 300 meetings. And overnight, uh, I became somebody working in TV, uh, I guess, 16 years after, no, I'm sorry, 18 years after graduating NYU. With yeah. The yeah, I, I actually just started to watch. I was I was looking at a, a little playback of Black Card. I have to watch it all the way through. Beautifully done. Uh, bravo. Yeah, wonderful. So getting a chance to hone the skills. Now, next thing is in TV, the the the, the, the where the rubber hits the road is being a hired hand as a director for what someone else writes. Right. And and, and I always feel like a, 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 a director on the way, uh, his, the, best, the best choices are to be able, because we do collaborate, to be able to interpret someone else's script rather than to own the writing and the directing, but to own the directing and interpret the writing. Yes. Uh, what, was, what was your adventure like working getting into television on the stuff that you have with the writing team and interpreting with them and collaborating with them. Because in a sense, every director somewhere in his soul is also a writer. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and you know, look, I, I, I've, I've written two feature films and plenty of shorts. So I, I come from, there's a little bit, for any director out there listening, I think there's a, there's a, there's a button you have to turn off on yourself, right? 
which is you're not the sole authority on this thing. And in TV, um, you know, oftentimes like I'm pitching shows, I'm working on shows that I've been, I've been working on for years as just concepts. And then, you know, put that work aside. Let's just say you just only factor in, you could come up with an idea, presto changeo. You're still looking at 12 to 24 months before that thing comes on TV. And so now you're some director doing episode three, trying to impose your idea of how this thing needs to be done. But they've been, they figured that out or they had an idea about that for the past year to two years. So how do you uh, respect what they do? Um, it means that you have to dissect what they've done. And so my job is to look at what is it that this story, uh, that this show does? How have they historically done it? Or if it's a new show, how are they telling me they want to approach it? And then how can I add my unique vision into what they've already baked up? And it's knowing where to like, where you can do something new and where you have to honor just, this is how they shoot scenes like this, um, or this is how these actors are in moments like this. And it's a, it's a bit of a gas clutch, you know, riding to figure out where you can elevate it. But the irony that I've learned, not irony, the, the thing that I've seen is that if you really respect the show in the beginning and just give them what they are expecting to get, then over time, you start getting a little bit more creative leeway. So now, like I've done things on shows like like this is my fifth Blackish, or you know I've done I did uh, I did six Grownish, <laughs> I did four Always Sunny, and like the more that they get comfortable with you, the more you can be like, hey, like Rob, I think this might be a cool way to approach it, and they'll be they might be like, you know what, we didn't think about it like that, but we know you know what we're trying to do let's go for it um so it's a it's a it's a fun time but respecting the writer um is is key am i also right in the tv world in for episode by episode mm -hmm. as 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 a scene if you watch any of the series you're jumping director to director so you're handing off an episode that you've done and then the next episode might be by another director, but it's a seamlessly told story. So you're going back and forth. I've never okay. really spoken to any of the episodic directors about what that process is or if it actually is a process. That's another curiosity, I think, right? Because TV is very collaborative and there are not necessarily, there's, it's not actual serial directors, but serial episodes. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you're, you're trying, you know, like the directors, the, the only thing we ever really kind of converse about is like, hey, what's it like on set? You know, who, who's, who's acting, uh, what are the conflicts with people? You know, what kind of uh, fires do I need to avoid? But other than that, it's like, it's more of trying to, it's almost like looking at it as a finished piece of work and saying, how, how do I replicate that? Or how do I, keep it on the, keep it creatively on the track. Because even now, like I'm doing the 15th episode of Blackish this season and only eight have aired. So what I have to, I've watched all eight. Now I have 
I'll probably, I'm, I have to email them today actually, but let, I'll assume there's probably maybe two or three cuts that I can watch. So let's say that gets me to episode nine, 10 and 11. And then, you know, 12, 13 and 14 will just be scripts that I'll have to read. And I have to track what's going on in these stories because sometimes, you know, there's a joke in my script that I don't actually know what it means or I don't know the full value of it because it started in a, in a story in episode 12. Um, or oftentimes like I'll be, I'll read something in a script and I'll have to ask the writer like, yo, what's going on here? This seems like these people might be getting together and they'll be like, oh yeah, in episode 20, that's gonna be a new relationship. And so for instance, last year, I did this episode where Pops and Ruby, uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Jennifer Lewis's characters kind of rekindle. And then this season they got married, you know? And they told me that it was, it was leading toward that. Right, so, you, so you're, given, you're given insight into the, the long-term Bible of the show. Exactly. Which is uh, so critical. So tell me a little bit about, uh, about each of these shows that you've worked on. You've also worked on Silicon Valley. How did that come about? So the thing that's super uh, interesting, uh, and it should be, I, it should be known, but I, I like to underline it. It's all about relationships. So in, in 2015, uh, the very first show that I ever shadowed on, the very first TV set I ever stepped on to watch TV being made was Silicon Valley in season three. And, you know, to condense the story, I just kept in touch with the people that were my point people. Uh, every time they had a project, I'm reaching out saying, hey, I love the new show, or I saw you got a pilot uh, greenlit over here, or, you know, maybe there's an update about something I've done. And so um, I ended up interviewing for an episode of Insecure a few years later. And my point person from when I shadowed was now a co-EP on Insecure. And so while I didn't get that job, um, I did end up getting an Insecure episode the following season. And so now we had a working relationship um, and they always knew that I was interested in, in Silicon Valley as a show. So um, cut to, I guess, May 2019. I'm on my honeymoon and I'm on a FaceTime call with the guy that I had met with who was now uh, an EP um, and, one of, and Mike Judge. <laughs> um, and uh, so Jim Cleverweiss, Mike Judge and Amy Salomon and we're just on this uh, call. And uh, I'm in Bali at some hotel for our honeymoon. And basically it, I was like, wow, I, I, this relationship that I've kind of nurtured is really paying off because now he's vouching for me. Um, but to tie it all into a bow, um, when I did my Always Sunny episode, Rob McElhenney had asked me like, what was up next? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing Silicon after this. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. Cause Alec Berg had called him to see like, what's that, what's it like working with that guy? So it's relationships and ones that you know, ones that you don't know that you're kind of developing specifically, but people vouching for you and saying, yeah, Let's do it. 
Yeah, the 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 uh, perennial six degrees of separation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that was an awesome show. That was that was a great time. Cool stuff. So, the the producers of 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 blackish, grownish, mixedish. There are many issues that they do. Um, uh, uh, tell me about that relationship. It seems to be a real core for you and how that began. It, well, it was, uh, you know, the first show I, I uh, shadowed on, I was in this Disney ABC program. And so I shadowed on Blackish. And um, like I mentioned, my first episode that I was like, the first person that told me, okay, we're going to hire you was Kenya Barris. Uh, so Blackish is the universe. It, all the issues are the, are from the Blackish universe that he created. Right. And so, you know, I finally kind of had that. Uh, I don't even know if it was a stamp, but I had a little, I had a little bit of a flag in the ground, right? And so then they greenlit uh, Gronish, and so before I ever directed the first one, I got booked for. They greenlit Gronish, which was a spinoff with uh, Zoe, Yara Shahidi's character going to college. And I got penciled in for one of those. So that was actually the first one that I physically directed. Um, and so I was fortunate to go from Gronish to Blackish. Gronish invited me back after my first episode ever. So now in like the span of really September to November, I had three episodes of TV. Um, and, uh, yeah, from there, it just kind of, it, it kept going. They were happy with what I had done for Gronish. Um, and so the season two, they gave me a two episode block, which was basically the, the one hour premiere. Um, and then Blackish invited me back for two episodes in season five. And it just, it, it just kind of kept going from there. Um, and I think what it really came down to is like we talked about in the beginning, understanding the show, uh, showing that it was in good hands, um, being a calm presence on set, and uh, you know, delivering a good episode. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the guys that you work with, the crew, um, mm -hmm. are the cinematographers consistent that you get get a chance to work with? You develop a really good relationship with those yeah. guys, I would guess, right? And, yeah. then, and then in terms of, of, of the other shows that you've been able to do, I've never seen Station 19. I haven't seen The Last OG or any of your other shows. How did those, uh, talk a little bit about the other shows that you've done outside of this sort of core. Yeah, it's in, uh, you know, the, the big challenge for any director um, is A, moving between mediums, right? So like all the, the two feature films I did and all the short films and branded content kind of were non-existent trees in the forest to the people who do television. So then getting into television, it was like, how do I get a single camera comedy? And so that was really the focus. Um, but I knew that I also wanted to do more than that. I wanted to do dramas because everything that I've ever done has kind of been a dramedy. So I didn't want to just become a, a one note kind of director. Um, and I also wanted to work in premium cable things on HBO and Showtime. And I also wanted to do broadcasts and just wherever interesting stories might be. 
uh, and action as well. So what I was fortunate to do was shadow on some shows that uh, offered that opportunity for the one hours. Uh, much like the there's a black every tv is very much about families more often than not i find like people have multiple shows whether it's one universe or just a whole bunch of shows like if you're able to work with different folks you can uh find yourself doing a variety of shows so you know always sunny uh was from the same folks that i did mythic quest uh which is for apple tv um, Mythic Quest was created by Rob McElhenney and Charlie Day. So, you know, doing Always Sunny with them was a way to kind of branch off there. Um, Rob kind of put that final recommendation for me for Silicon Valley. Um, I did a shadow on Grey's Anatomy and ended up directing a Grey's Anatomy. And with that, uh, Station 19 is part of Shondaland's universe. So I got to uh, direct one of those. I really wanted to do something that had a little more action. You know, I hadn't done anything with fire. Uh, so they liked the work that I had done on Grays and I had all the meetings that you have to have and people were interested in bringing me over there. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm just constantly looking to expand the kind of stories I'm getting to tell and build up my craft. So I have an arsenal of skills to do whatever project might come around. So like now I'm, I'm trying to book some superhero stuff, you know, uh, and, and add that to the, to the toolkit. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff's really popular for sure. So tell me about, uh, uh, I think it's a, is it a feature script, uh, uh, dollar free? Uh, oh, 399. 399. Yeah, yeah. 399 is a project I, I co wrote with my uh, frequent co writer and collaborator, Candace Sanchez McFarlane. Um, it's, I won the 2008 Tribeca All Access uh, Creative Promise Award um, with that project. So that was like folks who had made their first feature and we're looking to make their follow-up. Uh, Tribeca had a, had a program and a competition and I, I, I won that section of it. And it's a, it's a house film, you know, with a historically, a little bit of historical fiction, a little bit of uh, action, uh, but a heist that takes place in a small town. Uh, and we kind of watch uh, a little bit of history unearthed over the course of this one day. Cool, cool. So, um, you you have that sort of in the cooker, and with all these things, you have always have to have a lot of irons in the fire. Um, on the side of your episodic world, I haven't had a chance to look at your uh, 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 podcast, which is Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Is that what it's called? Yeah, we did. Uh, I had a. I wanted to do a short film around the election. Uh, and then inspired by all the crazy shit going on once, um, you know, COVID hit and was not given the proper attention. And um, it became clear to me that I wouldn't be able to do it as a short film unless I absorbed all the costs connected to having a COVID protocol production. 
And so I was like, well, I'm not going to not make this project. And that kind of goes back to this idea of being platform agnostic. It's like, I want to, I got something to say, how do we say it? And so we made a narrative podcast and it, uh, it was actually pretty freeing, basically a radio drama, you know, to uh, cast a bunch of really talented actors. My wife is uh, the star of it. Um, we got Coleman Domingo from uh, Fear the Walking Dead and uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Spencer Garrett. Uh, we got uh, Louis Ozawa, Joy Nash. So we put together a really awesome cast and over a weekend in like two hour blocks, um, we recorded this podcast and put it out. And it's basically a, a an exploration of a kind of surreal what if scenario if a autocratic dictator like uh, leader were to win a second term and it's the Wednesday morning after that victory. Um, and it was kind of like a little bit of Boonwell's discreet charm of the bourgeoisie um, updated for today. So it was it was real fun. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, I'm fascinated by there's so much production that goes into the, uh, uh, the, the, what I like to call the, the almost the reinvention of the radio play, right? Yeah. So there's, this is the whole form of content that's out there that uh, is uh, uh, without a, a COVID restriction, as we know, exactly. as you know, you're in the middle of all of that now in production. Yeah, yeah, no, it was fun. I recommend it. Uh, there's no reason not to make something, whether it's on your iPhone, or, you know, you're recording it somewhere, like just make, 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 because it's the only way you get, get your, get your, you know, get your skills up. So true. So true. So in terms of, of uh, uh, what you're, you're looking forward to in your career, now that you've sort of set a foundation in episodic television, are there series that you've developed with a Bible yourself? Not that you can talk about those, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Like the the irony of all of this is that uh, look, a lot of what you're trying to do as a director or an artist is like survive, right? Like, how do you how do you make enough money a to survive and b to make the projects that are dearest to you, right? And that can unfold in a variety of of ways, but. Um, you know, the, the thing I mentioned, Free 99, like I'm, I'm considering turning that into a narrative podcast because it'd be cheaper to make that than to raise, you know, eight to $10 million in a world where that money is not even being allocated toward films anymore. Um, and it's not coming from some IP. Um, it's not necessarily an episodic thing, but you know, I've, it's been proven to me that the narrative podcast world is is lucrative and it can be episodic in that in in smaller chunks. Um, I have another show um, that started as a feature film uh, that we are pitching now. Just had a, a successful pitch yesterday. We'll see what happens. Um, and then I actually got hired to join. Um, a show that Lionsgate has been um, developing uh, and is out pitching. Uh, we had a pitch earlier this week. So I would be in that case, directing the pilot and uh, multiple episodes most likely and be a, a, a EP executive producer on it. So, you know, 
still just wherever the good stories are, I'm trying to be. Right. And, and in the TV world, there's the hired hand aspect of directing. And then there's sort of the showrunner aspect mm -hmm. or owning the IP, which I guess right. is one of the goals, right? In the right. TV world. Yeah. Right. So um, for you, I, I, the thing I don't know about, we've known each other for a number of years on and off and in, in social and film circles, but I don't know much about your, your background. You were born in New York City. And, uh, and, and, and how, how, did, how did you develop your life and your interest actually in, in wanting to do uh, uh, what we do today? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was born uh, at Lenox Hill Hospital, which is, uh, there's a very good documentary about. Uh, Lenox Hill. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was, we watched that during quarantine, um, but that's where I was born. And, you know, we moved to Jersey. We lived in Brooklyn. We moved to Jersey, you know, uh, for early enough that that's where I did kindergarten, right? Um, and so I grew up in this town, uh, South Orange. Uh, our sister town was Maplewood. We shared a high school, Columbia. Where my, where my kids went to school. At Columbia. They're Columbia grads, both of them. Look at that. Kind <laughs> of funny. Yeah, I was, uh, and so, you know, look, when I was there, um, I hope these programs still exist, but when I was there, uh, I took a super eight millimeter filmmaking class. I took the photography course and uh, we had the public access uh, TV station uh, network run through the studio we had at the school. And so, um, you know, I was kind of the film guy two years ahead of me, Zach Braff was like the TV guy. Um, and also in his class, Lauren Hill uh, was the everything gal. And um, so I had a teacher, George Chase, who had gone to NYU. And uh, all of his anecdotes were initiated with when I was at NYU. And so I was like, well, I guess if you go to film school, that's where you go. And I looked up the folks who had gone there and I was like, well, shit, I like Spike Lee and Oliver Stone and Scorsese and Chris Columbus and whatever. So um, that was the only place that I applied. But the thing that inspired me first was um, Do the Right Thing. It was the first film I saw where I was like, this doesn't, th this is entertaining, but it's also reflecting something that I know and experience, which was monumental because more often than not, I was going to things and just like watching some other world that someone had decided was, uh, uh, you know, valuable enough for me to be in, entertained by or brought into. And to see the, a world that I knew was refreshing. Um, and in the 11th grade, when I picked up the camera, um, which was awesome. It was Super 8 film. We were developing it ourselves in the lab, like in the back of the classroom. It was awesome, man. And um, I remember shooting an exercise where when I cut it together and screened the film, Mr. Chase was like, you made all the right decisions in there. Like even in just like condensing time and like shot selection and doing these things. And it was all instinctual. And so the affirmation there kind of, uh, I had had fun doing it, but the affirmation that it was like uh, reflective of kind of understanding what the language of the art was or is, yeah. 
was um, affirming enough for me to say, this is what I'm going to do. Cool. And what about your family? Tell me about your mom and dad, your background and, and their lives. Do they have any uh, odd connections or is there any connection in your lineage to, to, uh, to your world? No, nah, no, nah, there's no, they were, I mean, look, if they were, as far as it works, you know, for, for, for parents of, of my generation, even if they wanted to be some kind of artist, that shit wasn't no option. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was do better than how we did being their parents. And that's going to be, you know, going to school or getting a job and, and providing for your family. Um, and so, you know, I, I, to this day, I don't, I wonder how difficult a decision it was to be like, hey, I want to be a filmmaker and I want to go to this really expensive place where I'm <laughs> going to be in, you know, like, uh, but uh, all I got was support. But my, my mom is from uh, Newport News, Virginia. My, my father from Birmingham, Alabama. I got to experience both of those worlds every summer growing up. So, you know, I, I got a very clear idea of the spectrum of blackness um, because each of those cities was drastically different from returning home to New Jersey. Um, the, the cities were different, the family members were different, the things we did were different, um, but they were informing. And so, uh, yeah, they were both, uh, you know, working professionals in, in the world, um, trying to, you know, survive in a, in, a, in a world where it wasn't really designed for them to thrive. Right on, right on. And, and do, you, do you feel that from your, your, your childhood growing up that you pull any of what you had in your life into what you do as a, as a director in the TV world? Oh, most definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, you look back and you recognize that the things that might have been uh, challenging or things you didn't want to do or maybe things that were uncomfortable were a are actually form forming the person you're going to be. You know, like I, I just, I was watching, um, damn, I don't remember the title of it, but I, I do a lot of like when I'm working, so I put stuff on Netflix that's like documentary. So I don't feel like I have to watch it, but I can hear it. And um, it was a series about coaches. And it was really interesting to hear like uh, Serena Williams coach talk about how quiet he was almost to the point where he's like, I, I went to therapy for a year. And if you think that I'm over exaggerating, it took a year before I said one word to the therapist, right? And what I got from that though, is that I would study people and I would look at, you know, what is it that they're doing? What is it that they're not saying? And he was like, and that's what makes me a great coach because I'm not listening to what they're saying. I'm listening to what they're doing. And so um, for me, uh, just kind of growing up, it was like watching, uh, living in a town that was trying to be diverse, but having challenges with that. I had friends who had crosses burned in, in their front lawns, you know, in the 1980s. Wow. In you know, South Orange. In Maywood and South Orange. Wow. Yeah. You know, I had, um, I would get pulled over by the police because I, I'd drive my mom's car and maybe they didn't think that I should be in that car. 
And I also had dreads down to here at that point, you know? And so I, I moved between, you know, I had friends in East Orange and Newark, and then I have friends up in, in, in Livingston, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like I got a really, between that and Virginia and Alabama, I got a really clear understanding of what it means to be, uh, on, on the cards you can be dealt based off of who you are in the country. Um, and that's valuable stuff to pick up because when I go from show to show or I'm directing my own things, like you're dealing with a lot of different psychologies and the more that you can understand what you're receiving and not respond to it with, uh, you know, anger or judgment or, you know, fill in the blank, uh, the better off you'll do. It's so important, right? I mean, I, 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 I feel blessed to have been able to raise both my kids in that township. They were both uh, Maplewood, born and raised, not well, my son born and raised, my daughter raised uh, and went through the school system there. And it, it, it is just a, a, a remarkable and diverse back, background that you get a chance to exist in that's, you know, 18, 20 miles outside of New York City, but you're in this... Yeah this town that is really the, the full spectrum of, of, of everything uh, uh, from both uh, uh, the, not just r racial diversity, but gender diversity. And, right. and uh, uh, you know, I, my daughter had a lot of friends who's, who had, uh, uh, you know, parents with two moms or two dads. And I mean, right. there was no, there was no inversion of life that was not around you. Yeah. Right. And you know, it's even also crazy. It's like, I played soccer. Like that shit was crazy. Like to people that like, you play soccer? It's like, no, we love soccer. We had, we had a national uh, hall of fame inducted coach, That's you know? Right. I mean? And, and it's just like, but that little thing, like I was liking soccer and playing soccer before it was like, let's watch the world cup, you know? And it, little things like that are like, are formative in, in kind of showing you there's more than uh, what people might expect of you. Absolutely, absolutely. And, 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 and let's not forget the little known fact that I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, Ultimate Frisbee was developed in Maplewood or South Orange or both. Wait, what is that? The sport, the, the little known sport, Ultimate Frisbee. Oh, yeah, yeah. By, yeah. by the way, developed uh, in, in, in the, I th believe in Maplewood. Tell me some stories about about your episodic journeys. You you you've told me how you got in. Mm -hmm. What what it, what's it like from day one when you get on a gig mm -hmm. to getting on set and starting to direct? Talk about how you tear it apart, how it works, and what it's been like. Yeah. So I you know I think that taking taking the feature film experience, you know your whole like your whole your job is to become the authority, right? On that's what authorship is. And so when I moved to television, I recognized that I was not the authority, obviously. I'm there to assist in the storytelling while bringing my unique vision to it. But at the same time, I have to try and get as close to authority level as I can. And so that means I've got to, 
you know, and uh, and I'll, I'll preface that it differs show to show. I've done, I just did the mid-season finale for Grey's Anatomy. They've got 17 seasons. You might prep differently for that show than a show in season two, because I say watch every episode. Sometimes you can't do that shit. It's too, it's too many, you know, and it's, and unless you have a month of free time, you're not going to be able to watch uh, 365, 42 minute episodes of, of a show. Um, but that said, the first thing I do, let's just say the given is I will have watched all episodes possible um, and read every script possible to bring me up to date for the current season. Um, then I kind of hop into, uh, I go through reading the script as every production head. So I'll read it as um, the first read will be just as an as a, as a person, <laughs> as a civilian to kind of see how it washes over. Um, then, you know, my next read, I'll do it as production designer and I'm making notes on any production design elements on a show on a stage. Those notes may be non-existent because it's all it's the Johnson family house kitchen on Blackish or Bo's and Bo and Dre's room or Stevens and Lido office conference room. Like there's nothing really for me to decide there. Um, but if there's maybe something that's on location, I might make a note of what I'm looking for um, based off of achieving what the writer wrote. Um, then I'll read it as wardrobe costume designer. I'll read it as a as a second AD. I'm thinking, oh, it says party. How many background do we need? Uh, how many background do they typically uh, pay for? Um, uh, I'll read it as the DP. Is there any special equipment that stands out to me? Because if I've watched the entire show, I know that maybe they're just on the dolly in studio mode for day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day stuff, but I want to go on a crane for this moment. So I'll make a note of that and, and say, I think scene 12, uh, I'd like to have a crane. Um, I just did a shot in, um, in an episode I directed where I was like, oh, you know what? I want to do, I want to have the camera push in, but do a full rotation as it, as it moves in. And so in prep, I'm like, hey, uh, DP, uh, can we pull this off? You know, and then she'll take that back to her department and to the line producer to get a budget and see if it works for the numbers, right? So I do all of those things before I actually sit down and look at it as um, a director. Because if I'm directing, that's where the job starts. It's not me lathering on shots and, and, you know, motivations. It's me aggregating all of the different departments to communicate something and then putting cameras on that and then directing actors toward that. And so, um, you know, I, I'm just constantly reading. And once I've done that, uh, I also make a spreadsheet breaking down the episode uh, into the various storylines. Uh, so, you know, it might be the A story is, um, I keep using the same show because it's on my mind, but <laughs> the A story might be uh, Bo and Dre argue about uh, her not working. And then the B story might be, 
Junior uh, stands up for himself at school against the bully. And then the C story might be something else. And so I'll just go through the script and put all the scenes from each storyline in the proper column. Because what happens is I've got to track this the entire shoot. And so an actor might say, wait, they might have a thought or a question or might have an impulse to do something. And then I can always be like, well, the last scene we did this, the last time we were with you in your storyline, you were here. Um, so I'm doing all of these things to become the authority, um, ending with blocking diagrams, where the camera's going, where I think the actors are moving and when, and then being prepared enough to know that on the day, they may not want to do that shit. So I've got to still be able to adjust to what they are inclined to do um, or what adjustments they might have for what I've worked out and still make the day um, and kind of just answer a thousand questions every day. And do you, do you, do you have a, a, a very defined compositional shooting script and storyboard or is it not really done that way for your shows? It'll, I'll have a storyboard artist if it's something that is pretty unique or challenging or time sensitive and or, or logistically uh, involved. So it would benefit us to know exactly what each frame is because it, we're, we're spending money. So like when I did um, Silicon Valley, it opens with this Mad Max kind of uh, car scene where cars are being blown up and this guy's on a motorcycle and all this wild shit. And so that we storyboarded because we had from 11, to five to shoot all of it. Um, and so uh, that was super specific, but when it's not that, I'll get the digital floor plans from the production designer. And then I use an app called Hollywood Shot Designer where I can lay the cameras over the floor plan and put characters, which are basically circles that I can name. And then I can, I can basically lay out where they're moving and where the cameras are and I'll pass that on to the DP and the AD so they can schedule accordingly. And it's a little, it's a lot different than feature films where a lot of times you walk on and you're like, hmm, and you scratch your chin and you figure the shit out. And, but like in this case, you've got so many people who are waiting for this kind of guidance, but also they don't always, they don't know that you're efficient or going to be able to do the job. And this is also a way to get them to kind of exhale and say, okay, he's got a plan, cool. Even though I, oftentimes I might not even shoot 50% of what I've prepared, it lets folks know there's an approach here from which we can stray. Cool. I, I, I don't, I'm sorry that I'm not familiar with that program. To describe that Hollywood shot design Sorry yeah. to get back to that. I'm interested in that. I'm always interested in learning about new things. Yeah, I'll, I'll pull up a, a little screen grab of it, actually. Um, but yeah, it's called Hollywood Shot Designer. Um, let me see what I got here. What's open in here? Um, I'll show you two things. So this is, uh, this is one where I have laid in different um, elements 
So I took like the ambulance and where we are in this breezeway here. And I have where the characters are going. Um, I did that because sometimes it's difficult to lay all of this on a grid. But then there are times where, um, for instance, this is in an emergency room. And so I've placed, you know, you see where the characters are coming from and where the cameras are moving and who's where. So I'll have shared that with everyone before we shoot the DP to AD. So, uh, you know, everybody has the specificity that they need because even with that, if I plan it out well, they can say, okay, so we don't, we're never gonna look this way. We can pull that wall early. So then we can get into the scene and save 10 minutes. And 10 minutes is, is could be four times. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Very cool. I love it. I love it. Um, so in your journey now with all the shows that you've done, tell me, I, mean, I always like to hear a good story about, uh, 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 about uh, uh, something memorable for you that you would feel okay sharing yeah, about yeah, a show yeah. that you were on uh, uh, that was uh, I, either a funny incident, a happy accident, anything yeah. that has to do with your journey as an episodic director. You know, I would say um, one of the first things that in my slow transition to really, like there's theoretically understanding something and then there's the act of doing it, right? And so one of the early things that I remember noticing is like, I, I'd have an inclination to be like, hey, let's try one like this. And an actor is like, I've done fucking 120 episodes. I ain't trying that shit. I know it doesn't work, right? So you, you would get the occasional brushback because in film, you're used to like the exploration of it, right? But sometimes on TV, they've explored it and they figured it out and they know what's needed and what's worked and what will work because they know what they do and then they see what airs. They might have tried what you're saying 18 times and it never made the cut. So why would they do another take of it? And so I remember transitioning to using not let's try when I had a, when I had a note, but what do you think of this? Right. <laughs> and so uh, it's this little pivot. Right. But it, for me, I kind of felt you just have a natural reaction when somebody's like, no, I don't, let's not, I don't want to try that. You're like, you, part, some of you, it was kind of like, fuck you too. You know what I mean? And so uh, uh, I started using it, doing it in that way. And I was like, okay, cool. This is much better. And so I remember uh, doing a scene. Uh, and of course, all of my anecdotes are from the same show because it's top of mind, but I was doing a scene um, and I had asked uh, Mr. Lawrence Fishburne what he thought about something. And he's like, I don't think I would do that. And I was like, cool, you know? And so uh, on the fourth take, he tried what I asked. And I was like, that's directing. Because to impose it would not have worked. I don't know, you know, I've never asked like what the process was. I don't know if it was, I was being humored, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or I don't know if after three takes, it was like, you know what? That is a good option to explore. 
but it happened and it was kind of an affirmation for this thing that I had uh, pivoted to as far as a, as a tactic. Interesting. I love it. I love it. And, and, and do you feel that uh, uh, for you now, having done as much television as you have, uh, I would imagine you have a, a, a sort of a, a hunger to do a lot of different types of stuff as well. Are you continuing to go outside of episodic and still to do your branded content or other types of video content? Talk to me about that. Yeah, the, I, the branded content has kind of, um, kind of trickled off. I do have commercial reps um, now. So I've done, like I did a national spectrum commercial. Um, I've also, I've been up for a bunch of other commercials. The thing uh, that kind of keeps happening is the dates are never as firm as I would need them to be with, with the TV calendar. Because let's say like, like I know right now I'm doing a show from February 3rd to March 24th. I'm doing two episodes of a show and a commercial might come up and say, oh, they can, they're looking to go late January, early February. And so you're like, great. Like if they, if that shit can happen before February 2nd, like I'm in and then, but they never do. And so they tend to end up sliding and then your availability um, becomes a conflict. But uh, I love doing commercials cause it's just a, I love to work that muscle of, of selling things visually and quickly um, and telling a story in a, in a, in a different kind of packaging. Uh, so I'm hoping to do more of those and um, you know, I have a I have a feature film that I need to write when I get uh, a little bit of downtime. And the thing, my goal is kind of been how can I make things small enough that I don't have to be, um, I don't have to be at the on the other side of someone's permission. You know, like I made both of my features without that. Now that shit wasn't easy, but you know, I, I raised half a million dollars from 35 people to make my first feature mm -hmm. um which and was, so which was pre premium that was premium yeah yeah and so you know not easy in any sense of the word took six years but it happened and i and i i've never been someone that wants to wait you know like if there's an opportunity to get money from industry sources great but i'm also not going to have that be the only way that it can happen so when I get back to this script, it's something that will be contained enough that hopefully uh, I can pay for it myself, or it's small enough that I can cobble together the resources for it. And the beauty of the television work is that I'm meeting and actually working directly with some of the people I want in that feature. So they, it all kind of becomes a handshake uh of of business and 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 art to hopefully uh do what i always wanted to do which is tell stories uh that put black folks in the center of the of the frame and not on the periphery you know cool and and for you um you're in, in, since you know you're, you're the generation somewhat similar i think we talked a little bit about it of around the same age as Reed Morano, you guys are sort of coming up at the same time. Who are your, who are your contemporaries that do, or, and do you have relationships 
with your contemporaries talking about what it's like to be on the scene now. And then following that, I'd like to chat a little bit about, about what all of our mutual fears are, which is mm -hmm. what the hell's gonna happen to theatrical features. Yeah, you know? yeah. But, but tell me a little bit about, I mean, do you, do you have, do you can, do you have a sort of a, 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 a network of people that are, that you share your war stories with in, in, in that are contemporary directors and artists that you, you stay in contact with? Yeah, I do. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned Reed Morano. We, she was one of the first people I met at NYU at Goddard Hall when I, when we moved into our dorm. Uh, and she was in my second year sight and sound film class. Um, so I, I knew her when she was, you know, most interested in shooting anything that anybody would let her. And now it's beautiful to see that she's directing um, and doing, creating shows and, and all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, some folks, it's like we have our, we have our mutual kind of social media support and comments on things which in this day and age is kind of how you keep in touch. Um, I, have a, I have a kind of thread of directors that uh, we are there to support each other. And many of them are um, folks that I, I have admired and now they're friends and colleagues. Um, some are people that I've known and I've watched their journey. Uh, a buddy of mine, Seath Mann, uh, was in the grad program at NYU while I was in the undergrad. And he, you know, I watched him go from this short film, Five Deep Breaths, that he did um, to um, directing The Wire and then directing Grey's Anatomy. I actually watched him do some of the programs that I did um, and then transition into, you know, he's done, he did five episodes of Homeland. So I've, I've watched that journey and him in particular wasn't, he was an inspiration for me to, to say, maybe TV is target that I should be focused on. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really been uh, nice just watching folks that I've worked with or that I've known some closer than others become the people that now I get to like see them at award shows and be like, man, I remember when we were like, in the elevator at Tisch. <laughs> and now, you know, some are actors, some are winning Golden Globes. And it's like, man, that's that's awesome. That's fantastic. So I not not that I not that I always need to land in the same spot at different moments in my podcasts, but I I, I cannot have a podcast mm -hmm. without talking about the thing that I love, which is the cinema. Mm -hmm. And it it it's it's taken a, a good heavy punch to the to the chin uh, yes. since the pandemic shutdown. Um, talk to me a little bit about the conversations that you have now with people that you know in the industry and what your what your uh, uh, feelings are about mm -hmm. about the future of, of that portion of our media medium of also being effectively being social and being in an environment right. that where you're going to a public place and not hold up watching at home. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's so many, uh, you're, you're about to just get some free thought because I, I, I haven't really formulated all my thoughts on it, but I, I, I have found, so it's probably gonna be a lot of statements that maybe total a, a, a point of view, but I have found that 
with the pandemic, I don't have the same desire to go out and do things anymore. And I wonder if it will return. So like, I don't really feel the need to like spend all the money I was spending going out to restaurants. I found out that I can cook. Like I'm pretty good and my wife's better, you know? Um, and uh, we have a really good setup in our living room with TV and surround sound. I'm like, this is pretty awesome. Uh, so when you see things like, I think it was Warner just announcing that they're doing a, a, a kind of day date release of, of for theatrical and home with all of their stuff moving forward or something like that. Um, part of me is like, you know, yeah, do I feel like there's been an opportunity lost to make money because if like take something like tenant or bond, you know, like I would have paid a, a, a ton of money to watch those at home, you know? Um, and is that a potential new model? I don't know. I think the big challenge is the amount of money that it costs to make these films and then to market those films and and the, the, the idea of what merits that budget and that financing getting smaller and more particular for me has made movies less interesting because I don't necessarily, I'm not a big comic book person per se, where the only shit I wanna see is a comic book movie. I wanna see some of these, I, like Mank on Netflix, right? I think that just like, I'm, I'm gonna watch that ASAP. Yeah. And that, that should be a movie in theaters, but they don't, they would never make that anymore. So, you know, I, I hope that there's a way to maybe redefine how these things are paid for and what makes them financially successful. Because if they keep going in the way where everything has to be a big event or from another property, I don't know. And, and that means it's gonna be more important or very important for them to be seen in, in mass gatherings. I don't know what the answer is gonna be to that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much of an answer that is. But I do, I, I will say in kind of closing on that thought is that whether it's like the students I used to teach or even um, now, uh, you know, folks that are even older than me who are now dealing with the pandemic realities of now, how do they get their content? What seems to not matter anymore is what a thing is. It's just like, how do I get it on my tablet? How do I get it on my TV, on my phone? Folks don't care where it originated. They don't care if it's a movie, quote unquote, or if it's a, if it's a TV show, or if, you know what I mean? They just care, how do I watch this shit? And I think that um, that's kind of freeing. But we'll, I don't know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the one thing that's for certain is that at least currently for production, uh, because you're on them, there are legions of uh, COVID personnel. So that's, uh, that's sort of become the new, nor the new normal on set. And you're shooting stuff, you've been in production, right? Through yeah. all this. Yeah, it's just uh, uh, the, the as, as our reality continues, all of these components of non-arena, non-theatrical, all home and all sort of enclosed and protected. But yet at the same time, we continue to make fantastic new content. 
And uh, uh, I think we're all blessed to be able to continue uh, 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 working under the constraints that are current. Right. And, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, God bless. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, to me, uh, I'm a big fan of the cinema. So I always like to do a sort of, a, I like to get a temperature check, but I, I understand completely when people feel that the sense of going to the theater and the environment that it is, is a, a Petri dish for the virus. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I, I mean, it's like, it is, it's currently become an environment of fear and, uh, I hope that the day comes that that changes, but I certainly understand it now. Um, this has been fantastic, Pete. Thank you so much for joining me on. Thank you for having me. Conversations with Charlie. All right, man. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right.